If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 13. And we want to pick up our study in verse 7 and then bring it to the conclusion uh, this morning in verse 16. But I want you to see the title of our teaching this morning, Obey Those in Authority. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews pins this beautiful letter. We've been seeing how Jesus is our complete sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our final high priest. And now we're just coming to the conclusion now. And the writer inserts this. This is obviously the Holy Spirit. And in verse 7 and in verse 16, obey those that have authority over us. Obey those that have rule over us. Now, obviously, he's speaking about the church, the body of Christ. And so obey those pastors that come forth and teach the Word of God. One of the things I emphasize here in the ministry, it's not what Pastor Bob has to say or what Pastor Jeff or Pastor Jay we're put here as instruments of God. We're put here to teach the Word of God. But your obedience and your allegiance is to Christ. Obey those that bring forth the Word of God, teach the Word of God, and then make an application, that is, to God's precious Word. And so I want you to think about the Hebrew Christians now. In about two to four years, according to the historical writings, depending upon the time uh, that the letter was written, so we're about two years off or four years off, and then 70 A.D. would be upon them. Titus and the Roman army would come in and level Jerusalem, level the temple. And the Christians, that as well as all the Jews, would be scattered. Now here's the Hebrew Christians. They're being oppressed by Rome. And now they're going to have to run. There's going to be no more temple, no more sacrifice, no more high priest, no more priesthood. They have to run to the four corners of the world. They have to rely upon God's Word, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, there's an exhortation to the Hebrew Christians, obey those that have rule over you. Obey those that are in authority. Now, I like to include, because I believe it's important that we believe those that teaches the Word of God, but also we have this responsibility we obey those that bring forth the, the laws of the land. It's obvious we are called uh, to obey the civil authorities. We might not like it. I mean, I don't enjoy when I see a red light behind me, and I know it's for me. I go, this isn't fair. But sometimes Pastor Bob breaks the law just like you do. And so we're grateful. Isn't it always the same? We hate the police department when they're bugging us, following us. But when we need them, somebody just about cut you off. Somebody almost T-boned you. And what is the first thing you say? Where's the police officer when you need one? That is so natural. And so obey those that have rule over you spiritually. Obey those that have rule over you in the civil authorities. There's consequences if we don't obey. If we disobey God's word, there are consequences and repercussions. There's judgment if we don't obey God's word. 
Well, the same in the civil authority. You can get away with rolling that stop or running that stop, but one day you're going to get caught. Now, I learned the hard way over here on North Main. Before they were giving tickets, Pastor Bob got a warning. My picture came out. Not mine, my license plate. So I tell everybody my wife was driving. <laughs> but they sent you a warning. Next time, no warning. Then I hear of people that have, you know, constantly, uh, they're going through those lights and the camera's flashing. Well, I go very slow through that intersection now. And I love when I'm parked there and then somebody runs the, the yellow light, right? I don't know, in our country, yellow means floor it, right? And you see the lights flash. And I go, all right, they got them. <laughs> but obey those in authority. Let's begin here. Look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 13. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow after, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so as I looked at verse 7, God's word is telling us something. Those who teach us the word of God, the pastors, have spiritual authority over the church. The word to rule over, they govern over us spiritually. Now listen to the translation. Remember your spiritual leaders who teach you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives to your lives. Trust the Lord as they trust God. Now, as I was putting this study together, after 30 years of being in Calvary Chapel ministry, I am so grateful for our Calvary Chapel pastors. I mean, they teach the Word of God. I learned from Pastor Chuck many years ago, and then I learned from my pastor, Pastor Raul Reese. Teach the Word of God. Be ready in season, out of season. And that's always been my drive, to teach the Word of God. And then pastors started to be raised up in this church, and we taught them, teach the Word of God. You see, I don't know any other way but to begin, such as the book of Hebrews, we started chapter 1, and then we take it all the way to chapter 13. And we go through each chapter, sometimes two or three or four studies in that one chapter. But we desire to discern the Word of God as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. There are good teachers out there. Trust me, there are those that will rip you off also. But I love Calvary Chapel Ministries uh, throughout the years. I want you to listen to the Amplified Bible. It just brings verse 7 uh, to such richness. Remember your spiritual leaders and superiors in authority, for it was they who brought you the Word of God. Observe attentively and consider their manner of living, the outcome of their well-spent lives, and imitate or copy their faith, their conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, and their leaning of the entire human personality on God, that it's absolute trust and confidence in His power, listen, in His wisdom and His goodness. If you have an Amplified Bible, go back later on this, this afternoon and just uh, study it. 
It is so precious. Now, there is a contrast. In Revelation chapter 2, study that, Jesus rebukes the Nicolaitans. They were a type of the priesthood. And the Nicolaitans took advantage of the laity. Jesus rebuked them. And so just because somebody calls themselves a priest or a high priest in the Old Testament and the New Testament, or somebody calls themselves a pastor or a pastor teacher, that's a gifted man. But they're not always right. Man, I thrive to bring forth the pure word of God. Have I made mistakes through the years? Yes. And I try to correct them. It is important that we bring forth the word of God in its entirety. And you're not obeying me. You're not obeying the pastor. You're obeying the word of God that the pastor brings forth. Oh, it is so important. Peter picked this up. I want you to turn to that. Leave a marker where you're at. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter speaks about those that are elders. As I'm one of you, I'm an elder of the church, he says. We have a responsibility. Peter recognized that. And I recognize that. I hope you recognize that. Maybe you'll never have a church. You'll never be in the pastorate or the pulpit. But the responsibility when we share the word of God with somebody, let it be God's word. And if you have an opinion, let them know. This is my opinion. When it's the word of God, tell them this is what the word of God has to say. Listen to Peter. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Peter begins, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, also a partaker of the glory will be revealed. That glory will be revealed. And verse 2 is the key. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, but not by compulsion, but willingly serve. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not for fleecing the flock of God. Now I want you to look at the word shepherd. It is the Greek word poomin. And it means to feed the flock of God. It means to tend to the flock of God, which is among you. Peter took this as a responsibility. I take that as a responsibility. Each guy that teaches in this ministry takes on that responsibility. In the back with the children, the ladies are teaching those kids, you have a responsibility. And the women are teaching the women, you have a responsibility. Peter recognized that so beautifully. Not for dishonest gain. Look at the bottom of verse 2. In other words, the King James says, fleecing the flock of God, do not lord over them. Verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example of the flock. Verse 4 goes on, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, that's Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Oh, the responsibility to feed the flock of God, not to fleece the flock of God. Teach them the word of God. Be an example to them, as Peter was an example. And I'm reminded, remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. There are so many out there, listen, and you know this, they're fleecing the flock of God. I get frustrated when I turn on the radio. It's a 30-minute program. 
And sometimes you get about 15 or 20 minutes of, of the message. And the rest of it is trying to sell this, trying to sell that. And it's important for us to get the Word of God out. Let them go to your website. Let them find out what's available. But don't try to fleece the flock. And there's so many out there. Now, I want you to study this passage when you get home. There's some homework for you. In the book of Acts, in chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, Paul and Silas go to this city called Berea. We don't know much about Berea. They didn't spend much time there. But Paul tells us that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in which they studied the Word of God. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were true. So in other words, Paul and Silas come in. They're ministering God's Word, and they're saying this, saying that. And the Bereans say, well, let's check Paul out. Let's check Silas out. And they would go to the Word of God. Now they had the Old Testament, but they went to the Word of God. Do we listen to radio preachers? Do we listen to TV preachers? And just because they sound good? Just because it makes you feel good? Do we check out what they're saying? There are good teachers out there. I'm not going to take away from that. I grew up listening to Pastor Chuck. I, I grew up listening to Pastor Rawl. Obviously, I was part of his church. But when Mary and I first got saved, I tuned into this program back in Southern California, Fred C. Price, Ever Increasing Ministries. And I was a young Christian. But I tell you what, Fred C. Price ministered to me every opportunity I had. In fact, I used to listen to him before I went to church. But as the months went by, it was about a six to eight months period. And then finally, I got to hear Fred C. Price. He was all about faith and prosperity. And then as I got older in the Lord, I found out that Fred C. Price was definitely into faith and prosperity. It's all about money. But God had me to learn under him for about six months span. And I have to admit, I still go back and I'll listen. And I love what he has to teach. I love his method of teaching. But then here comes the money factor. And I get so frustrated. Teach the word of God. Charles Stanley. Wait a minute, Pastor Bob. He's a Baptist. I'll tell you what, Charles Stanley's a man of God. Teaches the Word of God. What about J. Vernon McGee? I love J. Vernon McGee. I love when a new Christian is listening to J. Vernon McGee. They'll call up the station. They'll say, hey, where's his church? I want to go visit her. The man's dead. He's been dead over 12 years. But his teachings are alive. Beautiful. How many of us? have been fed through the years in the Billy Graham Crusades. Oh, Billy Graham still to this day gets, gets my heart. John MacArthur, I grew up another pastor, John MacArthur, listening to his teachings in Southern California. And then I find out John MacArthur does not believe in the speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. And, you know, some of my pastor or some of my friends in ministry, some of my friends at the church say, you shouldn't listen to him. You know, I can live with that. He doesn't believe in the gift of tongues. I believe one day John MacArthur is going to be preaching and teaching and tongues are going to come forth. But do I throw him out? Because he doesn't fit our criteria? He teaches the word of God, I tell you. It is incredible. But obey those 
that have rule, that have authority over you. Now, what about the civil authority? We have the same responsibility. The same responsibility. And church, we need to take heed to those that rule over us. I do police chaplain work, and so a lot of times I'll be in a call, and it's usually, the calls are never during the day. They're always at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So I'm coming home, and where we live, the neighborhood's totally quiet. It was about 3.30 in the morning, and I go, wow, it's so quiet here. And then I see a sheriff car, and he was going up each street. I thank the Lord, and I saw this scripture. Thank you, Lord that they're here watching over our neighborhood. You know, it's just incredible. They watch over our souls, those that teach the Word of God. They watch over our homes, those that protect us. Again, <laughs> you're getting pulled over. You don't want to see the cop. But when you need him, you, you're out. Where is he? It is so beautiful to see. Now, let's go to verse 8, and it picks up further. And now he kind of shifts gear, but I want to ask this question before verse 8. Why obey? Why study? Why learn? Why submit to those in authority? Because of Jesus, his example. And I like verse 8. It's not a big verse, but it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our greatest example has always been Jesus Christ, our Messiah, listen, for the last 2,000 years. Jesus Christ has been the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Now, He is the same. He is changeless in character. Well, it's obvious, Pastor Bob, He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But you have to remember, He is the incarnate God. Jesus became one of us. To identify with us. He dies on the cross a hideous death. He's an example for us. Jesus calls us to the cross. Not to get on the cross and to be nailed to the cross. He's already done that. But he calls us to the cross and he says what? Now you pick up your cross and follow me. The cross is always the symbol of death. We need to learn to die to self. On a daily basis. Now Jesus. God the Father. Has. Sent his son. We the church. The body of Christ. Are anchored in. Listen. Our very spirit, soul, and body. To God. Through his son Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only begotten son. Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, we're in the Christmas season, right? It's December. Who doesn't love December? Now, we're already traditionally getting geared. You can see all the you know, decorations that the ladies have put up here in our own church. But we're all anticipating for December the 25th. And we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, we know that it, most likely Jesus was not born on December the 25th. But it's tradition. And there's nothing wrong with keeping of the traditions. But don't just place Jesus 2,000 years ago there in the manger scene, in an animal's trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. But Jesus, the scripture says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I love going to Genesis 1-1, and it says, In the beginning, God, Jesus was already there. Jesus was part of creation. Now, here's the interesting part. When you go to Genesis 1-1, we read from left to right. But if you go from right to left, you say, wait a minute, we're off the page. That's right. Jesus was already there. He always was. And he always will be. So don't just place him. That's his first advent in coming to earth as man. But Jesus always was. Again, the verse says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Imagine that the Hebrew Christians are hearing this now. He is the changeless Christ. Oh, man changes constantly. Man changes in his laws and such. And and we're going to see that now. Look at verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which, which uh, he says, which have no, not profited those who have been occupied with them. And I like what he begins here. Do not be carried away. The translation, be careful you're not transported by the strange doctrines, unusual teachings, unscriptural teachings, unhealthy teachings. Please keep your hearts established by the grace of God. We know the grace of God. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But it gives me grace. And because of the grace of God, I have eternal life by His amazing grace. We know this verse. We've quoted it many times. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We are saved by grace through faith, not of words, lest a man should boast. If we got saved, if we are saved because of what Bob says or because of what Bob does, our pride would set in. But we know that we're, oh, wretched man that I am. We know that we need a Savior. We know that we need the blood of Christ. Our personal standing with Jesus Christ is based upon His grace given to us through the cross in which He endured to His death. His blood is what washed me clean, and it was His grace that saved me. It was an inward work on my heart, not an outward work of what I eat or I do not eat. Now, this is kind of strange for us. But the early church struggled much concerning the foods that they would eat. See, some of the foods were offered unto idols, so it was a struggle. On your own, study 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul had to address that. Now, as I was looking at this study here, verse 9, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them, We see the Jews, they struggled with it. Well, was that offered unto idols? Oh, I'm going to pray over it, yes, but don't stumble your brother. So I was thinking of the verse, and in my Catholic upbringing, obviously I grew up in Catholicism. I went through the parochial school system. I know they've changed the law since, but remember those days, meatless Fridays? Those were very prevalent in my life. I'm a youngster, 10 years old. 
We're at St. Joseph's Catholic School. We're having our lunch break. We're in the pavilion. And we had Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters, and they patrolled our area. And it always amazed me that on Fridays they're looking for me. They're kind of in a search and destroy mode. Well, it happened to me. God forbid, but my mom put a bologna sandwich. I'm a kid. It's lunchtime. I want to eat. I take a bite. I did not know that Sister Antonia Maria was right next to me. And as I bit into that bologna sandwich, bologna still intact in my mouth, I get this slap upside the head. Don't you eat that, mister. You're going to go to hell. Oh, my gosh. You're 10 years old. Don't tell that to it. I was spitting everywhere. Get rid of that. Then you find out later, they changed the rules and the regulations. I says, where's my bologna sandwich now? <laughs> I share this, and we laugh. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. You see, Jesus knew the tactics of man. Well, listen, that meat, you Corinthians, some of that meat was already offered unto idols. You're going to eat it. Well, Jesus straightens this whole issue out. In Mark chapter 7, look at verse 20 with me. Jesus is teaching here concerning what defiles. What defiles a man or a woman? It's what comes forth from the heart. Look at verse 20, Mark 7. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Listen, that comes from our hearts. On your own, go back. Don't, don't let us know. We don't care to know. But let God know. Which one of those, or maybe it's all of them, I don't know. It's part of our lives. It's part of our lives. Well, I just took a couple of paper clips from work. That's stealing. Oh, my goodness. You know, because in my day before I come to Saving Grace, I would boast, well, I'm not an idolater. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not, you know, an evil person. I'm not covetous. I didn't know I was. You see, we're all sinners. Listen, saved by grace. Then he concludes, look at verse 23. All these evil things come forth, he says, from within, and that's what defiles a man. The word de defile, this is what pollutes a man. This is what profanes a man or a woman. It's obvious to me that some of the Hebrew Christians were wrapped up in strange doctrines. We don't need new doctrine. We don't need new revelation. You see, we have 66 books, church. We have Genesis to Revelation. We have 39 Old Testament, and, and we have 27 New Testament. Why do we look for something new? And there's always somebody out there, I have a new revelation from God. Really? What makes you perfect? Well, I have this dream. Oh, I, I, I hate those terminologies. You had those dreams because where you ate last night, you shouldn't have been there. That's why you had that dream. But we have God's word, church. I want you to write this down. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews 
I believe, is the Holy Spirit that had Paul the Apostle to pen. And he says, God's word is alive. Listen, God's word is not dead, but God's word is alive. It's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it cuts to the very depths of the soul. It pierces the heart. How many times we've read the scriptures, you've read the scriptures, or you've been here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, and the word of God just seems to jump out at you. It just seems to pierce you. It seems to speak to you personally. That's the power of God's word. It cuts. The Bible says it's a two-edged sword. Now, I don't like surgery. In fact, I've never had surgery. And I know there are some that have had surgery. One of our daughters, when she had an inflammation of her gallbladder, she didn't want to go to the doctor. We kept saying, we need to take you. But it wasn't until one day she comes over to our side of the house, she's doubled over. She goes, Dad, take me to the hospital now. Is that what it takes? I mean, I don't see anybody going tomorrow to one of the two hospitals we have here and say, listen, it's Monday. I feel like getting surgery today. It's not going to happen. But you know when you need surgery, you're going to go. We go to church. And sometimes God, listen, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word that's alive, sometimes he does surgery on us. Praise God. And so the word of God, it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And now the writer of Hebrews, look at verse 10, 11, 12, 13 now. He, he takes us back. Remember, he's teaching Hebrew Christians. Yes, we're looking at this text this morning. Obey those in authority over you. And so here's the challenge for the Hebrew Christians. They're reminded of their past. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of our past. Traditions are very steep in all of us, and especially religiously. And so here's the Hebrew Christians. They've come to saving grace now. They know that Jesus is their Messiah. But watch what the writer says. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat from it. Now you have to understand the Hebrew mind. The Old Testament temple, the altar, the tabernacle, was everything to the Hebrews. The priesthood, the high priest would offer sacrifices, sometimes on a daily basis, and, and there was that yearly sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. But the daily sacrifices were done in the holy place. But once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies. But now in our New Testament theology, the altar we have is spiritual. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, our complete sacrifice. The tabernacle we approach is spiritual. Now I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I love what Paul says. Know you not now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we get up in the morning on Sunday. We're going to go to Calvary Chapel. Or you're going to go to the Baptist church. You're going to go to the Methodist church. We're going to go to church. And we look with anticipation to get to the church building. But listen, when you got up that morning, you're a Christian, you're a believer, the Holy Spirit tabernacles within you. And that's why it's important that we act like Christians, Christ-likeness, 
every day, 24-7. You see, I would act the Christian on Sunday morning, and then as soon as I left the church, I'd leave my Christian hat, put back on the secular hat, and go about my business. I'll be back next week, Lord. But if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit tabernacles within me. So Paul teaches, we the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The priesthood and the high priest have no right to serve, nor do they have the right to eat there. And I look at it this way. If you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not Lord of your life. You have no right to partake in the communion service. Go back and study 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Unless you're born again of the Holy Spirit, change and transformation has taken place in your life. And so the priesthood, everything was revolved around the priesthood. And the high priest especially. Now they partook, listen, the priesthood... In the Old Testament and part of the early church, they partook of the meats that were offered unto the Lord at the temple. It was their payment. But I want you to write this down. Eli the priest, 1 Samuel chapter 2, he had two evil sons, Hopne and Phinehas. And as you study 1 Samuel chapter 2, they were taking a, a three-fork prong, and the meats that were being offered and now boiled up, cooked up, and it was for the priest's consumption, they were sticking their fork in there and they were getting out the best cut of meat. And the law says, just go in and whatever comes out, that's what God gave you. But they were looking at the cauldron and kind of sifting through it. Let's see where the filet mignon is at. I don't want the rump roast. And so... They were bringing to the table an abomination. Study 1 Samuel 2. Later on, they're killed. God takes them out of the picture. And Eli the priest could not handle it. My sons, my sons. And then he perished. But you see, we've partaken of the Lord. I don't look for the altar. I don't look for the temple. I don't look for the tabernacle. Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is all that you need. And he lives within me. He lives within you. Right now in Israel, they are so looking for their new temple. Antichrist is going to give them that opportunity. They're already, they have young Jewish men. They're teaching them how to fillet. They have the vestments already. They have the utensils. They were missing a dye a couple of years ago, this beautiful red dye that they needed to have. They found it. Comes from a, a, a seashell type of you know animal in, in the waters, and they have that now. Everything is ready for the sacrifices in the temple. They need a temple. If they tried to build the temple right now, there would be a great jihad, a great holy war. But the Antichrist is going to come in politically, religiously, and economically. And he's going to sew this contract together. It's going to make the Arabs happy. It's going to make the Jews happy. Everything is set in play. Now he goes on with the same concept. Look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals 
whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for the sin offering are burned outside the camp. This is part of the Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 6. The blood was offered at the altar, but the body of the animal was sacrificed, burned outside the camp. It was unlawful to burn the sacrifice inside the camp. The blood was sprinkled on the altar in the temple and the horns of the altar. Now Jesus Christ, our complete sacrifice, was taken outside of Jerusalem and sacrificed on the hill of the skull. It is called Golgotha. Now here's an interesting take. Back in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham takes his son, his only son, up into the mountain. It's believed that it's Mount Moriah, this same mountain that Jesus was sacrificed. Genesis chapter 22 is a picture. Isaac is a type of Christ. And Abraham's a type of the father. And Isaac is obedient even to the cross. He takes a bundle of wood. But we know the story. The angel stops Abraham from making a sacrifice. God never allowed human sacrifice. But it was a picture. Jesus died on Mount Moriah outside of the camp, outside of Jerusalem. When you go to Israel, you go there and they show you this hill of the skull and you can actually see that it looks like a, a, a skull that's been eroding through the years. Now again, study Leviticus chapter 6, verses 24 through 30, the law of the sin offering. So that now he clarifies it further in the next two verses. Look at verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Again, just bringing it back. Understand the Hebrew Christians are getting this teaching. They have to come to that place of leaving Judaism. The complete animal sacrifice was and still is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He died, listen to the words, to sanctify mankind. The word sanctify mankind. Sanctify the people. They were made holy. The word sanctification. They were venerated. The word sanctification. They were set apart. The word sanctification. They were set apart by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We also. We are washed and cleansed of our sin nature by the precious blood. We are brought into the heavenly place, not by an animal sacrifice or the blood of an animal, but of the sacrifice that took place at Calvary and the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me, washes me. There's old hymns that say, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We don't hear too much of those songs anymore. Because when you think about it, what do you mean I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb? Sounds gross. But unless you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you have no partake of the death of Christ at Calvary. And we believe this by faith. Jesus was sacrificed outside of the camp, outside of Jerusalem. The animal sacrifices, the blood, they were slit the throat. They would put the blood in the basin and then they would sprinkle it on the altar and on the horns of the altar. But the animal was taken outside. The picture of Christ. Look at verse 13 now. Therefore, let us go forth to him, speaking of Christ, outside the camp, 
bearing his reproaches, enduring what he took at the cross. When we, verse 13, the believer, when we go outside the camp, listen, outside Jerusalem, we show that we must go outside of Judaism, outside of the covenant Old Testament law, no more animal sacrifice. We bear his reproaches. The Greek says we endure his shame. We endure his defaming. The cross was hideous. Jesus was put to shame on the cross. Jesus was defamed at the cross of Calvary. The death on the cross was not a pretty picture. Jesus makes this separation. This is what separates a Jew and a Gentile because they refuse to go through the cross for salvation. Obey those that have rule over you, those that teach you the word of God, those that govern over your soul. And here's the teaching. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. He died for those Hebrew Christians. You see, you and I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you've been here enough times. I teach the word of God, and I will emphasize over and over, Jesus is the way. You must come to the cross. You must go through the cross in order to get to the Father. But I'll tell you what, through the years, and some of you have experienced, family, friends, and loved ones, there are many roads that lead to God, and that's true. Don't tell them it's not true. Tell them it's true. But you need to ask them, which God are they speaking of? There's a lot of gods out there. I mean, we've got people hugging trees. We've got people hugging, uh, you know, rock formations. And there's various things out there that are God. But we speak about Jesus Christ, that he is God. We bring this verse, you know, to the pulpit so many times. I hope it's embedded in your heart. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. You will run into people. They want to go around the cross. They want to go over the cross. They want to go under the cross. But the Bible says you must go through the cross. You see, Jesus is our mediator between us and Christ. Between us and God, we must go through Christ, that is. It is so important. I love this passage. In Romans chapter 9, excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says to the church at Rome, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I like that. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, the third day he rose again, 40-day post-resurrection. The Bible says he ascended into heaven. The angel said, why do you men stand there gazing at this? Jesus, the same way he's going up, is the same way he's going to return. That's the second coming. It's called the parousia of Christ. Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a blanket statement. You see, we've shared it many times before. Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Because he made a, a blanket statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, people don't like that. Now, those that refuse, Jew or Gentile, 
They're not going to get into the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me that you can read Psalm 22 and you can't see the suffering Savior. That you could read Isaiah 53 and you can't see the suffering Savior. It is so cut and dry. And I have to admit it, I read it in time past. But it wasn't until I came to Saving Grace, I see it, I read it, and I just cry because it speaks of Messiah. It tells us in Isaiah that his body was so plummeted, they pierced his hands and his feet. I mean, the scriptures tell us now these religious leaders, those that belong to the priesthood and those that were the high priest, they knew these verses better than us. But how is it that I can see it, you can see it, and then somebody else will read it? That's not what it says. We can read John 14, 6, Jesus is the way we read it, you read it, and then others say, that's not what it says. Satan's ploy is to give, give you half-truth, half-lies. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights. The Lord is this sacrifice that was made outside the camp. The complete sacrifice. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. I no longer need a high priest. Jesus, my complete high priest. I no longer need an animal sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist recognized that when he saw Jesus in the Jordan. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now, I want you to put yourself in the Hebrew Christian. They were being taught the word of God, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But you're Hebrew. You still have that behind you. What about the temple? What about the animal sacrifice? Little did they know in two to four years, Titus and the Roman army would come in and level Jerusalem. Level the temple. And they would be scattered to the four winds. Here in verse 14, I love the Old Testament city of Jerusalem. So do the Jews and the Arabs. The Jews are so desiring the rebuilding of the temple, which Antichrist will allow them. We shared that earlier. On the other hand, as the Christian... The city we are looking for and the city we are waiting for is the heavenly city in heaven. The glorious city. The city with golden streets. But imagine the Hebrew Christians reading this, not knowing, not understanding. Two to four years. 70 AD. Everything would be taken away. Historically, when the walls came down, some of these stones were 500 tons. We know that there was a great fire. And we know that the gold melted. And it went through the crevices. And gold does something to man. They tore them down. I saw some of those stones. It's amazing. They didn't have the technology that we have today. They rolled them down. Man will do anything to get a hold of that gold. Now, look at verse 15. Therefore, by him, speaking of Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. 
That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. As a true believer, this is what the writer is telling us, as a true follower of Jesus Christ, we no longer need a priest or a high priest. We don't need a temple or a tabernacle or an altar. Jesus Christ has completed all at the cross for me, for you. But our sacrifice, listen, of praise comes from the heart. Our sacrifice comes from the heart. When the guys come up here and they bring us into that place of worship, it, it is important, church, we have the words, but that you bask in that time of worship. Oh, Lord, I just want to worship you and let it be from my heart. I want you to turn to a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. I'll give you a little time to get to it. But God had reached its climate in frustration. He said, enough is enough, Isaiah. Tell these people. These are God's people. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah is prophesying to Judah. Judah were the children of God. As we are the children of God. But Judah was not worshiping from their heart they were mechanical and as we read Isaiah chapter 1 verses 10 to 5 I, I venture to say how many churches fit this criteria to, throughout our community here throughout our state of New Mexico and, and throughout the country the beautiful country of the United States of America we go to church sometimes mechanically and we offer our worship and praise. Well, you know, let's get through the songs. Now, it needs to be from our hearts, church. Listen to the exhortation. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And so he equates. He's calling the children of Judah. He's calling them Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how far they had gone in their worship of God. Verse 11 to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, saith the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts. God forbid that we just come in to trample the courts of God. But I hope and pray we come in to give him praise, honor, and worship. Verse 13. Bring no more futile, empty sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. This is God speaking. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. He concludes, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Radical statement. These are the children of God. God says, Isaiah, go tell them. I'm tired of their fake hands raising up unto the Lord. 
Isaiah, go tell them, I'm tired of your sacrifices. They're meaningless because they don't come from your heart. Historically, we're told that King Manasseh, bad king, he had Isaiah placed in a log, sawn in half. Passages like this, you wonder why. I'm going to get that Isaiah one of these days. Why are they mad at Isaiah? It was God's word. From time to time, somebody will tell me, Pastor Bob, I was a little harsh this morning. I'm just a messenger. Go talk to God. Because the same message, I have to hear it also. Before I teach it, I have to receive it. It's not easy, church. Now write this verse down. In John the Gospel, chapter 4, verse 24. John the Beloved comes to this conclusion. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God wants to see your heart, church. God likes a broken man, a broken woman. Lord, it's me. And I give you this because I want you to study this when you get home. Psalm 51, verse 17. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You're all familiar with Psalm 51. David and Bathsheba had committed adultery. And then David, to cover his sin, he keeps sending Uriah, her husband, to the heated part of the battle, hoping that he gets killed. Eventually he was. And then David said, all right, I'm going to marry her. Nobody will know. Nathan the prophet comes. And he exposed David's sin. The Bible says that David cried out to the Lord. Psalm 51 is a powerful psalm, a psalm of repentance. You know what I love about King David? You see, King Saul repented. He repented that he was caught. But King David repented that he was caught, but he was remorseful. King David was a man of repentance. Psalm 51 proves it. And I'm going to read this one verse to you. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit and a broken and a repentant heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. David was a broken man. It's interesting to me that David was not allowed to build the temple. Solomon, his son, got to build the temple. David's hands were bloodied, the Lord said. And David committed adultery. David committed murder. David committed sin. But the Bible says that God says this about David. He's a man after my own heart. Oh, I love that. I don't love that David sinned, but I see the example that if David could come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, what about me? What about you? You see, God is in the forgiving business. All we have to do is come to him with an open heart. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we're told, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's a form of worship. Lord, it's me. Here I am. Lord, use me. Lord, I'm repented. I'm, I'm caught up into my sin, Lord, and I give it to you. God loves, don't forget this, church. God loves a broken man. God loves a broken heart. 
Pastor Romaine was Pastor uh, Chuck's assistant for many, many, many years. Chuck is really a Bible teacher, loving, kind, considerate, but he'll teach the Word of God. Romaine was a retired uh, Marine sergeant, military all the way, comes to Saving Grace, but he still had that training. And you loved and hated to go to him for counseling. But if your heart was right, you endured the chastening of the Lord. And Romaine said it in his book, I loved when a man would come in with his head down. You could see a broken heart. But when a man would come in and say, all right, Romaine, what are you going to tell me? That's the guy that God's not finished with. Don't come to God with a puffed up chest. Come to God with a broken heart. A broken and a contrite heart. Lord, it's me, sinful man. Beautiful picture here. Now, verse 16 is precious. But do not forget to do good and to share what you've learned. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I hope and I pray that that is your concept. You want to please God. Again, here in verse 16, we offer the sacrifice of praise to God from our hearts. We desire through worshiping God to serve our fellow man. This pleases God. Now, two things happen. Well, three things. I come to saving grace, first of all. And then I come to the place of worship, worshiping God. And then he directs me. I want to serve God. And I want to serve his fellow man. Not because that's going to get me into the kingdom of God. Because I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm set apart, I'm forgiven. That is so important. But we should desire to please God. Real quick, flip back, Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 5 and 6. Remember when we went through Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter? We come to Enoch. Hebrews 11 the Bible says that Enoch pleased God and that God took him. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. Underline it. That he pleased God. I want to please God. I hope you want to please God. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch becomes a type of the rapture of the church. Enoch pleased God and God took him. I hope and pray that you're not here to please Pastor Bob, Pastor Jeff, or Pastor Jay. I hope you come to church. Listen, to please God. Lord, I want to please you. Lord, what is it that you want from me? Lord, I want to please you. I'm tired of pleasing man. I pleased man for too many years. Some of us please Satan for too many years. I want to please God. Now we come to the conclusion. We started with verse 7. Obey those in authority. We come back, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be in submission, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. 
let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that, that would be unprofitable for you. So we come to the Word of God. The Bible says that we're to listen, and then we're to obey those who teach you the Word of God, not Pastor Bob, but the Word of God. Be under submission to them, not to Pastor Bob, but unto the Word of God. What does the Word of God have to say? Be under submission to Jesus Himself. Because they watch over your souls. Also obey your civil authorities. I believe they also watch over your souls. Be careful now. When a leader desires you to submit to him or to her, not to the law of God or to the law of the land, if we obey not God's word, we obey not our leaders, this could be unprofitable. The Greek says there would be no gain, no profit, no advantage for your soul. Obey those that have rule over you spiritually because they bring forth the word of God. Obey those that are the civil authorities. If we don't obey those that have rule over us, there's consequences and repercussions spiritually. If we don't obey the word of God, we could end up in hell. If we don't obey the laws of the land, there's consequences and repercussions there too. How many people are incarcerated today because they took the law into their own hands? God has set up the rules and regulations. It is important. Pastor Chuck said this, the conclusion, verse 17, a called teacher of God, which is the pastor, should teach God's people submission to God, not to the teacher himself. If we know God's word and follow it, one day the pastor will give an account of us to God. Now, I've been in the pastorate enough years, and I desire to please God. I desire, secondly, to teach the word of God. Listen, in season and out of season, your desire should be to please God. And don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. Obey those that have the rule over you. Those that spiritually have been placed in charge. And those in the civil authority that have been placed in charge. And I tell you, we spoke about morals last week. We spoke about Christian morals. It shouldn't be hard for us, church. We should be governed by what the Word of God has to say. Be careful when somebody tells you, you do what I say. No, you do what the Word of God has to say. From year to year, there's always somebody that comes up, Pastor Bob, should I do this? I'm thinking of moving. I'm thinking of changing jobs. I'm thinking of, you know, whatever it might be. I don't tell them what to do. I said, go to the Lord. God speaks to me. He's going to speak to you. Imagine... A young man comes to Pastor Bob, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jay. Should I marry that woman? Well, I think so. She looks pretty good. Six months later, they'll be back to, hey, you told me. Now, you better go to the Lord. You better go to the Lord. Oh, how many young people 
they don't listen to the voice of God. Oh, but he's handsome. He looks good. Is he a Christian? Well, you know, he's close. Oh, I've heard that before. He'll change after. No, he won't change. If they're not saved, you're going to have a hard time. Talk to some of the that are married to spouses that are not saved. It is not easy, church. It is not easy. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Another time we'll teach on, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. Because <laughs> Joshua was getting excited already. What, what is that? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. Lord, obey those that have authority. Why? Because they bring forth the word of God. Obey those that have authority, civil authorities. Why? Because they have the laws of the land. We can't go wrong. Yes, there are bad pastors out there, and there, there are bad civil authorities out there. But, Lord, our, our place is to see what God has to say. Father, bless your people here this morning. And I'd like to give this opportunity with every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never come to saving grace. Today is a day of your salvation. If you'd like to come to saving grace... Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. A simple prayer of faith. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, I'll lead you in a simple sinner's prayer. Anybody here before we close, you'd like to come to saving grace. Then if we're all Christian, praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful people. Lord, teach us continually to teach us the word of God. Lord, thank you. Praise you, Lord. Worship you. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion, Lord. Father, remind us that the Bible teaches that God loves a cheerful giver. Let us not give by constraint or by murmuring, but let us give as a cheerful giver. Bless the offerings, Lord. Bless your people this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.